It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, 20 years after Babylon 5's debut. This intro cast is a dream-given form. Its goal? To introduce the show to new fans by creating a place where new viewers and old alike can discuss the show peacefully. It's a port of call, home away from home for geeks, nerds, podcasters, and wanderers. British and Americans, wrapped up in minutes of audio downloads, all alone on the web. It can be a silly place, but it's our last best hope for intelligent analysis. This is the story of the first of the Babylon 5 intro cast. The year is 2014. The name of the show is Down Below. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. I'm in. I'm Heidi. And I'm Elizabeth. Yay, Heidi's back. Yay! Yay. Welcome back, Heidi. <laughs> I missed you guys. Oh, we missed you too. Oh, yes, we definitely we have. It hasn't been the same. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, we are here to discuss episode 19 of season 1 of Voice in the Wilderness Part 2. But first, here's an ISN special report. This is your ISN special report. This week was a tense time on Babylon 5. The situation regarding Epsilon 3 had escalated with an Earth Force crew and another alien crew showing up to state claims on the planet. Shots were fired in at least one skirmish. In the end, it was decided that Babylon 5 would protect the planet. In other news, word is trickling in about survivors from the Mars attacks. And Ambassador Delenn has been in mourning for her good friend, Drawl. This has been your ISN Special Report. A Voice in the Wilderness Part 2 originally aired on August 3rd, 1994. Like Part 1, it was directed by Janet Greek and written by JMS. So let us get started with the recap. Oh, I, I did notice the domes in the previously on, because okay. they showed the ISN reporter. So I did get to see the dome. It looked not too big. It was like a glass dome. Yeah. After the previously on, the episode begins with an Earth Alliance heavy cruiser coming through the jump gate. Yeah, was that kind of a letdown? <laughs> it was a yeah. kind of. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was weird looking. Like it well, was it, like, go ahead. I didn't feel like it was, like if it had been massive, like really big, but I didn't feel like it was even that big. It just kind of, I don't know, maybe because coming through the gate it didn't look that big, but I don't know. It was just kind yeah. of like, okay. No, yeah, it didn't. I remember. Remember, Babylon Five is massive as well, so it's not going to look that big in relation to it. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the first time we've seen an Earth ship other than a Star Fury on the show, right? Well, well at least, oh, yeah, yeah. This is an Earth military ship, right? And uh, something JMS said at the time is that this is one of the. Uh, few ships to have survived the earth Membari war others may have been built afterwards but this is one of the ones that was in operation during the war and had survived in operation since then i wonder if they modeled the designs after anything or if they're considering function and the design of it because i was just wondering the way it was designed it kind of looked like like in parts you know it was kind of like long and thin in some parts so, I'm just, did he mention anything about the design of it? Um, 
Apart from the uh, thing we get later in feedback, um, I don't want to steal anyone's feedback, so I won't mention it. He doesn't really say anything much else apart from them that the building the new ships as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Captain Ellis Pierce of the Earth Alliance ship Hyperion has come to take control of the situation, and we see the opening credits. Ellis Pierce is, play, is played by Ron Canada. He's in various Star Trek shows like pretty much everybody. And he played the Under Secretary of State on the West Wing in a few episodes. Hmm. He has a familiar I, look about him. I probably he does. Either from Star Trek. Yeah, yeah I think I'm I've scared seen to look him at the West Wing. Maybe I've seen him there. It's been a long time since I've seen the West yeah. Wing, but. I'm actually just watching it for the first time. So. Oh, okay. So I think that's probably like where the recognition came from. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually wa- oh go ahead. Were you talking about that guy? Um, I was just gonna say um, something about the performance. Seems very stereotypical, blustering commander type. Yeah, they didn't give him much to do really. <laughs> yeah. No, just shout a lot. Gonna, yeah, kind of just be stern and be you stubborn know. and. Well, he didn't get to move very much, so... (laughs) (laughs) He had to do all face acting. Uh I don't really watch the credits, like, closely, you know, because it's it's the same all the time. But um, I was watching the credits this time, and I did notice... Maybe we talked about it, and I can't remember. um, They have a clip of the Membari ceremony um, that they did. the, The rebirth ceremony. Rebirth ceremony. And... They were using similar objects as what Delenn has in her room, the ones that she keeps playing with. So I noticed that. Ah, well, good, good catch. I guess, unless I'm totally just <laughs> making connections where there are none. After the credits, we see a Star Fury leave the Hyperion and head to B5. In Med Bay, Dr. Franklin is updating Sinclair on the condition of the guy they brought back from the planet. Uh, Sinclair gets a call saying that Captain Pierce is ready to see him in the briefing room. I know in this bit during the commentary, you were wondering what Franklin was wearing. And the impression I get from this bit and later on is their scrubs, their, that station and that version of the future's um, basically medical wear. You know, if mm-hmm. you're going in to do an operation, you slip this thing on. The yeah, waffle we talked a lot about room. <laughs> We did. <laughs> Up in the briefing room, Captain Pierce is learning about B5, thinks it's cushy and it'll be a nice change of place for his guys. They find out they were on their way to the Vega system when they were ordered to come take control of B5 on the authority of the Office of Planetary Security. So when he's when when he's watching that little uh, video or whatever, yeah. I just kept thinking about how like you can turn that on at like resorts or hotels or whatever, and it'll tell you all the features. I was like, uh-huh. well, that's <laughs> nice. You know, they can find out about the gardens and they can find out about the the casinos, the specials. <laughs> I can just imagine them doing separate ones for each of the major races, and you know. The Centauri one concentrates on the gambling and drinking you can do. <laughs> the Membari one focuses on, um, you know, the the spiritual places aboard the station <laughs> and things like that. Motorcycle repair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. 
And then we have the down below featured in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Earth wants to make sure that they have a claim to everything that's found down there. Captain Pierce asks about the prisoner, but Sinclair corrects him, saying he's a patient. He tells the captain he has everything under control to enjoy his stay on B5, and then he dismisses him. Well, it's kind of interesting if you think about, yeah, because they were saying it's neutral territory. So really anybody, I guess, could try to stake a claim for it. Um, so that's kind of interesting point. I would have just normally assumed that it would be Earth's, you know, jurisdiction, but... yeah. Yeah, Earth's got a station here, but the point of Babylon 5 is it's a, a peace station and, yeah, meant to be neutral territory. In the Zocalo, Garibaldi's having a drink of water, I guess, and you hear a report saying that President Santiago is planning to use force to subdue the Mars Rebellion. Some of the other patrons are glad about it and they express this, which makes Garibaldi mad. And Garibaldi shows him how much he doesn't like what they're saying with a little magic trick. Yeah, that was... Mm -mm. The the other guys in the bar are just terrible in this scene, I think. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Grating on me. The the interesting thing to me is it's like we've got Earth humans versus Mars humans. You know, you've got... uh, Of course, you have divisions within the races, but like this is a, a very distinct division. They used the term Marsies, which made me cringe a little bit. Like <laughs> yeah, Marsies and Earthers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess a couple of things from this. I mean, first of all, Garibaldi, that was terrible. He, he's out of control there. I mean, that was totally security brutality. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, it was annoying. I mean, I'm sh- sure he can get angry, but he's a security guy aboard the ship, and, you know, he has to allow people to be able to tick him off a little bit without using his muscles to subdue them you know he didn't they didn't break any rules or anything so that was i mean he was lucky he didn't get put on suspension and yeah uh, well i think um it's it's not just the mass situation getting to him because even before this point there's the epsilon three situations getting to him because he can't do anything about that situation he's got to let the commander and ivanova deal with it He's just feeling impotent at the moment, and that's he's lashing out. Yeah, but he has to he has to be able to control that. <laughs> but the other thing that I was thinking about is, I'm just and I and I know I've brought it up before, but I'm just wondering, like, what are exactly are they doing on Mars? I mean, because they were talking about how Earth resources are used to basically climate control the planet. Because that's one of the things the guys w- was complaining about, right? I mean money is going to for services to help basically there to live there and i'm wondering like what is the main source of economy on mars uh what are people there doing is it i mean if if they do get independence how are they going to support themselves what function are they going to provide to trade with other worlds and uh, i mean tourism (laughs) i mean that's the only thing i could think of so it's just a weird thing it's easy. You've got to wonder, you know, these things must be being asked. And I think, you know, a lot of the anti-independence movement would be about we can't survive on our own. Whereas the independent movement, maybe they're saying, no, that's all lies. We've got enough resources to stand on our own. And you've got to question 
what's going on there. We just don't know at the moment. We don't have enough information. No, I, yeah, I know. I'm just that's just what's going through my mind. Like that's that, that's the questions I want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like they're. It's kind of like if someone discovered an island, you know, like if we put this into terms that we can understand, um, and and yet Mars doesn't really have natural resources for trading so it's right. kind of like they're dependent on earth so it's like you've discovered some desert island that you can't actually do anything on except possibly live but not without help exactly yeah i mean you can't fish <laughs> yeah you know like there's really i mean i'm well, sure they could, have you could fish if you know you built a dime put a lake in it filled it with fish <laughs> Right, that's the thing. They, they'd have but to then create. Say your, then say your lake filter system breaks or something and Earth is no longer your friend, how do you fix it? You know, like mm. you can you can build greenhouses to build or to, to grow things in, but then if your system fails with the air or the water or whatever, then you're out of luck, you're dead. Yeah, what are you going to trade them? I mean, are they... That's, that's what I want to know. Like, are is there something specific? special about Mars where they're using the um, something that's on the planet um, you know is it is a, a resource that Earth is using maybe they found some kind of resource that they need uh, to build ships or something maybe that would be something they could trade so yeah I just and my- yeah and there's got to be a reason for keeping a colony there because you've got jump gate technology and hyperspace now you could probably reach habitable planets and set up colony there that don't need maintenance or don't need as much maintenance mm-hmm. right yeah so there's got to be a reason why why you want to keep a colony on mars yeah i hope there's a reason <laughs> all right so next we see sinclair speaking to senator hidoshi who says he can't do anything and he explains that Earth's been looking for new weapons since the war. Sinclair was promised that by the president that he'll have full authority when he took over the job. And Sinclair says he's going to assume he has sole jurisdiction until he hears otherwise. Hidoshi's going to try to get confirmation. And Sinclair gets a call about something happening on Epsilon 3. So, yeah, that whole thing that whole thing about uh, that you might have to have shared command, I was like, oh yeah, because that'll go well. Right. <laughs> it always does. It always does. does. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. going to send some Psychops over, too. <laughs> and um, don't you think Senator Hidoshi here is just looking a little bit... Well, uh, I'll be polite and say annoyed at Sinclair for running to him every time he's got a problem now. <laughs> well, Sinclair has some big <laughs> problems, though. Yeah. But as far as Hidoshi can see it, it's, can't this guy sort anything out on his own? Why does he always have to put it on me? (laughs) He does call an awful lot. (laughs) So the Hyperion has sent some ships down to Epsilon 3. Those ships are taking heavier fire than the B-5 crew did. Captain Pierce contacts B-5, and Sinclair makes up the story about them not being able to get down to the planet without having a jamming device which is being repaired there's been some more seismic activity down there and if it keeps going on the planet will explode and take b5 with it 
I'm not sure that I was impressed that Sinclair just flat out lied or that I was a little disturbed by it. <laughs> yes, they're going to find out about it eventually. It's just a stolen maneuver, that's all, isn't it? Yeah. Just kind of putting a band-aid on it, waiting for something to change, I guess. Yeah, it was a good move, I mean, because he, he's doing it for the right reasons, at least, you know, because there is there's a danger to those ships and everybody else, so... That was good. It didn't get anybody mad at that point. <laughs> and I'm not sure they ever, really, they ever really figured it out. And it, like, it didn't matter in the end, so. Yeah. Oh, I think they, I think there was, they did mention that again later, that they had okay. figured it out or something like that. Yeah, I missed that. <laughs> I think. Yeah, they did. So their scans have confirmed that Epsilon 3 is lined with fusion reactors. And at most, they have 48 hours before they blow. I have to say, all of a sudden, their scanners can pick up a lot. Whereas <laughs> they couldn't pick up this underground, 10 to 20 mile long uh, mechanical structure before. But now they can pick out that there's fusion reactors all along the planet's core. So well, They're looking for it now. So Yeah, that's <laughs> what they were looking for. <laughs> uh, and maybe we could say the fissures opened a bit wider. So they can get a clearer signal in. <laughs> you know, that's the I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> but they mentioned that Babylon 5 um, can't get out of the way. So it's basically not mobile at all? So no. It, it's basically got enough uh, power to keep the rotation going and keep it in a stable orbit up around the planet. There's like oh, okay, some gravity so, involved and stuff too, like from the planet's yeah. pull. Deep Space Nine okay. could move. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's actually one of my notes. You know, it, Deep Space Nine is meant to be a huge station, yet it's somehow able to produce enough power to move it halfway across the solar system. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised by that actually. I, I for some reason thought that it could probably move around, but. I hadn't really thought about it, honestly. But I, just when they said that, I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a huge station, five miles long. You've got the force of gravity. And you've got a jump gate fairly close by that you probably don't want to go too close because it's probably got its own issue and has to be a certain distance away from other things as well. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so if they were attacked, they really, they'd have to just sit there and fight back with whatever they had they couldn't like go anywhere that's, yeah, that's, fighters. yeah yeah they're fighters okay and their one key um opened the doors for all for all of the missiles <laughs> with one button it would take about three to five days to evacuate everybody Two hundred fifty thousand people the planets must be booby trapped to blow and this didn't happen before because that guy was still down there and they're going to hold off on making any kind of announcement because they don't want to create a panic. Makes sense. Yeah. All those people trying to get off at once. Yeah. Well, yeah, where would they go? Like, they would take over the the ships or, you know, like, what what are they going to do to try and get out of there? It would be bad. Yeah. Yeah, that would take an awful lot of um, ships to get them off. Transport ships, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yolanda runs into Ivanova in the corridor. Try, she tries to get some information from her about what's going on. She says everything is status quo. He doesn't believe it and wants to share of anything they find down there. <laughs> mm. All about the treasure. Yeah. 
in Medland. I was surprised Jakar wasn't all up on this, too. Yeah, <laughs> he must Jakar? be on vacation. <laughs> yeah. He must be off the station doing something. Oh, that's the so. only thing I can think. Yeah. In a toddler, skiing something somewhere. Mm-hmm. So in Med Lab, the guy they brought back up is stirring. Drawl gets a message asking for help, and Drawl follows that call for help. So the guy that they brought back up, his name is Barn, and he's played by Kurt Lowens. It was interesting reading about this guy, Kurt Lowens, on Wikipedia. He's almost 90 years old, and he's still in movies and TV shows. He was born in Prussia, and he and his family, when he was young, his family was going to leave for America to escape Hitler, and they're going to go through the Netherlands, but the day they're going to leave the Netherlands, Hitler invaded. And they're going to be sent to Auschwitz, but his dad had a high position and managed to avoid that, but he and his mother were sent to another camp later, but they were released because his father had connections, and his family went into hiding after that. Wow. Quite quite a story, you know, um, eventful life, and that's just his early life. Yeah. So next we see Sinclair go to check on Garibaldi's and Garibaldi in his quarters. He's heard about what happened in the bar. They have a chat and Garibaldi's regrets that he waited so long to call Lise Hampton and he was afraid. At this point, um, <laughs> like, please hurry up. But Sinclair's going to call in a favor and try to get a clear channel to Mars. But before he asks for a favor, he wants Garibaldi to make sure Ivanova gets off the station if there's an evacuation. Yeah, that was nice, I guess. Sweet. That was really nice of Sinclair to use his favor for Garibaldi. Yeah. Especially after Garibaldi just did. But Oh, yeah. But then again, think of, of what Garibaldi's been doing for him. You know, he's, he True, was able he's to find out more about what happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, Elizabeth, are you getting any romantic vibes here? Because wait, 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 wait. <laughs> with with Sinclair and Ivanova. Okay, I thought you meant Sinclair and Garibaldi. And... <laughs> that's what I thought. Oh yeah, yeah, that's no. <laughs> I was like, look, now that you say it. <laughs> <laughs> now that I say it, no, no, not really. <laughs> no. Um, no, I didn't get anything between Sinclair and Ivanova. You mean, um, which scene are, are you meaning? Just him telling Garibaldi that he has to promise to get her off. Like, if there's a, if there's, you know, they blow up or whatever, that she needs to be on a shuttle and she needs to make it out alive. Oh, um, no, I guess I, guess I was just taking that more as like a brotherly affection, you know, type of thing. Yeah. You know, like a mentor. You um, would be so mad. I think uh, also she's the sort of person that would stick around and force Sinclair off the station. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got it right. I mean, she wouldn't want to leave. But, but she is younger than them, and, um, you know, he has a point about her whole, whole career being ahead of her. If the station had had to be evacuated, I could. if that scene ever came to a head, I could see Ivanova knocking Garibaldi out and shoving him <laughs> yes. in the... Because <laughs> he's trying to force her on the transport. She's like, uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a who can knock out who first. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I, I see they still have the women and children first rule. So, 
Women, children, and ambassadors first. Oh, yeah. Ambassadors <laughs> first, then women, then children, then civilians. I don't know. We better, the way Kosh moves, and when he's in that suit, <laughs> he would take <laughs> He goes Hurry first. Up, Kosh. Take him. Yeah. He may not well, even be there. He magically uh, go through uh, doorways, so you never know. It might be pretty easy. You just cut away from him, and all of a sudden he's in his, his ship. <laughs> just blink and he's gone. Yeah, he's a weeping yeah. angel. <laughs> so in Medbay, Jarl and Delin arrive, and Varn wakes up. He asks Jarl for help and tells Oh, wait, Delin had super crazy eyes, though. <laughs> if, if you look at her behind Jarl, like when they're waiting to get into there, her eyes were just open so wide and she wasn't blinking. I was like, I wouldn't let yeah. them in. They look crazy. Yeah, also that, I've been watching um, ER again, going through old episodes, and I was just thinking that Franklin clearly hadn't had enough training because if you tell someone not to come into this emergency room, they're going to come into it nine times out of ten. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your other option? (laughs) They need orderlies. Yeah. Yeah. Varn tells them not to go to the planet because it will explode without the heart, without another. So in C&C, thank you, Vanova relays what the patient said in Medbay. And this is where the Hyperion has found out that there's no jamming device and they're about to send more people to the planet. Sinclair is ready to use force to keep them off the planet and orders a planetary blockade. Captain Pierce thinks he's bluffing, but in the end he cancels the launch. I have a note saying, what's up with Clarence's hair? I don't know. <laughs> it was a bit of a boot pump, wasn't it? <laughs> Clarence has fabulous hair. <laughs> well, I wish that Clarence looked how he looks in that picture that you posted on the yes. Facebook group. Because, <laughs> yeah. He's, he has he's age well. well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he looks good here, too, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he definitely changed his hair. This episode, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I would say that the standoff was, it was no Crimson Tide, but it was, uh, it was, it was okay. It was pretty good. A little tense. There's some point during this scene where on the computer screen you see something about flight number THX 1138, which was the name of a George Lucas film. One of his oh films. yeah, his student film or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. So another ship comes through the jump gate. Maybe this one would have been They just better. keep coming. <laughs> But this one scans B5 and the Hyperion, scans their language files, and the captain very slowly tells them <laughs> that they've been looking for this place for 500 years. We Getting, learned your um, language, but not very well. Uh, yeah. uh, we learned thinking, it in two seconds, but we can't speak it. <laughs> I'm thinking Soul, a soul hunter must have uh, programmed their language files because, yeah, the performance <laughs> so similar. Well, he didn't do a lot of monologuing, so maybe not quite like a soul hunter. But the ship was but, really cool looking. But it, yeah. the livery of the lines was <laughs> nearly as bad as Soul Hunter. I could have continued to. It was worse than the Soul Hunter. The delivery. Yeah. So that captain, his name was Takarn, played by, uh, probably not how to pronounce it, but Michelin Sisti. I noticed he did a lot of Muppet work, like he was on Dinosaurs and some other... As a puppeteer? Yeah, I think so. Oh, cool. But he was also in the Bloodlines episode of The Next Generation. I think he played a Ferengi in that episode. 
And I think this is the part where uh, Victor DeGrand posted the screenshots in the Facebook group. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Yeah, that was sci-fi brilliant. references, yeah. Well, it had some of them. It basically had the fact that, you know, going through it, you've got the phrase, I am not a number, I am a free man. But you've also got a couple of others. Um, Apparently, Skynet is mentioned in those uh, downloads as well, but I couldn't see it in the uh, links he put up. Also, there's ORAC, which is a computer from um, Blake 7, which is sci-fi show from the UK from about 1980. Cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. So Takarin says that they received the call signal and they are the last of their people. They want the planet and they're going to give them 10 hours to move aside. Then Captain Pierce jumps in and says that this place is under Earth jurisdiction and gives those guys nine hours to leave. <laughs> Yep. But there's only 20 minutes in the episode. Left, so. <laughs> Captain Sinclair should have said, I'd give you guys eight hours to both leave. <laughs> so in Med Bay, the patient explains that the guys on the ship were outcasts and they were cast out centuries ago. The signal that he sent was not meant for them. Yeah, it was so powerful that they should have known they were going to turn up because it seemed like a signal that could reach out halfway across the galaxy well it made me think that maybe maybe that planet is not where they that must not be the planet where they lived because you'd think that they'd be able to find that um you know sometime in Mm. 500 years that they were searching um like right after they got kicked off maybe but um yeah, I mean, plus there were no structures on the planet's surface, right? Because they, they looked for signs of life on the planet's surface. No, no, you're right there. So either they com- they lived underground their entire lives, or they just traveled to that planet for whatever reason to create that whatever it is, big machine, underground thing that we're not ready for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then their yeah, people yeah, died I, off. I see what, what you're saying. It doesn't quite make... Since if that was their home planet, they've got to have colonized there somehow. Yeah, because I mean, first, yeah, for two reasons: one, why wouldn't they be able to find it, and two, and two, why wouldn't there be any signs of civilization on mm-hmm. the planet itself? You know. Yeah. Oh well, it's just one of those weird continuity things uh, that I'd love your explanation for. My my explanation. I love your reasoning. Basically, that that should be why it's. There and yeah, I'm not quite making myself clear, I suppose. Oh, that's okay. No, yeah. So it, I was just like, that's kind of weird. But I mean, yeah, it's kind of sad what happens to them later. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, he, he's been the guardian of the place, living in the heart of the machine, listening to B five, learning their words. And he says that the guys on the ship can't be allowed to take the machine because it's not for them, not for this time. It sounds he, like Kosh. <laughs> yeah. Then he takes a nap, and Sinclair, when Sinclair asks him if he can stop it, and Franklin tells Sinclair that the patient's dying. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. In the briefing room, Sinclair's talking to Delin and Drawl because they were there when Barn woke up. Drawl explains what happened and realizes that the same thing happened to Sinclair. Got a message from from him. They think the machine is still attuned to his condition and is still sending out distress signals. 
So when Sinclair leaves to Lynn and Drawl talk some more, Londo overhears this part of the conversation and thinks that they all need to talk. Yeah, I couldn't quite figure out what Londo was going to do here. <laughs> yeah. Next, Sinclair is talking to Pierce on the screen. Pierce wants to use their combined firepower to take out the bad guys. Sinclair doesn't see any choice but to go along with this. It's kind of... He's just saying, let me fight them, please, let me fight them. <laughs> yeah. really is, I mean, not quite so moaning, but he, he really, he's champing out the bit to just solve all his problems by killing something. He's got a heavy cruiser and he wants to use it. <laughs> yep. Claire's like, okay, I guess. <laughs> I see no other option. Fight. <laughs> so, in the garden, Lando tells Drawl and Delin that Varn appeared to him also, and Lando wants to return to his old habits and go down to the planet, and he knows that one of them won't return. He talks about when he was younger, and he swore he would die doing something brave and noble. No, he's gonna die with fighting with Jakar. <laughs> well, that's what I right? was thinking. I was like, um, doesn't he already, like, kind of know that? And at this point, like, when we were talking on the commentary, it was like, wait, really? I mean, obviously, Brawl is going to stay, so why is Londo talking like he's going to stay? <laughs> yeah, that made no sense to me. It just did not seem like his in his character. I'm not saying he's not a good guy, but it didn't seem like his character to be like, oh, maybe I will stay down there. Maybe he doesn't want to face that vision. Yeah, he doesn't want to accept that that's his final fate. He's looking oh, for Jakar. a way out. Yeah. Wasn't he all excited about it before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what was he talking about that he led a charge? Do, do we know what that was, that conflict was that he led a charge in? What was he referencing? We haven't heard it before. We haven't heard oh, okay. that reference before. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think so. So he apparently did some fighting at some point. Yeah, which I was, again, surprised at. <laughs> I can't picture Londo as a, a pilot? I don't know. Especially since he can't find the landing thrusters <laughs> or whatever. He never had to land, I don't think he's, Yeah, I don't think he's flown for some time. <laughs> and probably not that kind of ship or something. But That is was, exactly the kind of ship that Prince funny. would have if Prince had a spaceship. <laughs> Oh. It was amazing. That was the best. That was the best. I loved that ship. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. We haven't had enough music references lately, so um, I in. <laughs> yeah, I need to get uh, Prince. I've been listening to Purple Rain like on a loop lately, so maybe I'll put that in the episode. Oh, it's the best. I was obsessed. I, uh, I took a. I had never seen Purple Rain till college, and I took a class. It was like uh, Hollywood in the Reagan years, and they showed Purple Rain, and then I was like super obsessed with it for a long time. That's awesome. I got teased for listening to Prince when I was in school. Really? Yeah. What's to tease? I don't know. Prince is awesome. Anyway. He is. I'm, I used to think, oh my god, that would have been so amazing to go and see him during his Purple Rain tour. Yeah. You know, I've seen him twice, but it's been you know, in the 2000s. Yeah. Which is, he's great. He's great anytime. But when he was with the Revolution... He came to Portland recently, but they had sold out before. I just played a few like limited shows on the West Coast, I think, recently. And it yeah, sometimes out. he doesn't give a lot of like forewarning yeah. about his concerts. <laughs> Let's do a Prince pod- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
So in the C and E, another other C and C. In the Church of England, <laughs> a ship is asking to leave, and it's London's ship. Garibaldi calls and tells the C and C that somebody nabbed a patient. That's a real medical medical fail right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. No one at all in the med bay <laughs> even saw two ambassadors and an ambassador's guest take a highly valuable patient. Yeah. They yeah. said there was a distraction or something. Yes, but you can't distract all of your medical staff <laughs> and all of your security staff. And why, and why didn't we get to see this distraction? I would have, like, I, I hope there were costumes involved. <laughs> <laughs> So the enemy ship is mad. Somebody's going to the planet, so they start firing at the Hyperion, and B-5 joins in and launches its fighters, and Vanova says that the person driving the, piloting the ship is a madman, and we see that it's Lando. <laughs> <laughs> it's giddy. I was just thinking that Lando would get Veer and tell him to fake an medical emergency or something and just <laughs> have some sort of fit out in the uh, Zocalo. Yeah, it makes me want to see like the whole gang involved in some kind of heist. Uh-huh. Some, some episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I do love this the um, little bit when Mando's flying the uh, ship down. He's trying to do all these trick maneuvers, and, and Drell and Delen are just eyeing each other, thinking, "Are we going to survive this?" <laughs> <laughs> I would be terrified <laughs> if Wanda was driving. Yeah. So there is a fight, good fight still going on, and the transport ship makes it to the planet, and the planet doesn't fight back. No, um, I have to say the fight's kind of cool because the alien ship, rather than having a load of fighters, it splits into three. Yeah, that's oh yeah, cool. yeah, it's a cool little design. It's you know you've got one larger one that I think goes off to deal with the Hyperion, and then the two smaller ones go after the um what's it the the fighters and babylon 5 separately i think that was kind of cool yeah definitely i didn't i guess i didn't realize it split off i was just tr- trying to figure out where those other ones came from but yeah so that's that's much better that's cool garibaldi takes his ship down because he needs to do something and he tries to catch up with Lando's ship the space battle is still going on in Lando able to land his ship even though it's been a while since he's piloted one <laughs> there's more space battle we see garibaldi land uh delin drawl and londo take barn back to the machine garibaldi then arrives he's surprised to see them down there and they say they just wanted to help and barn creates a pocket of air for them yeah that was nice yeah they explain the situation to garibaldi and drawl he's going to take barn's place in the machine I mean, this wasn't a surprise to anybody at this no, point, I no. think. No, no, no. Yeah. it was expected. Except for yeah. that weird thing from Wando earlier when he was talking about dying, and yeah. that was just confusing. But no, this was expected. Yeah, it would have been a huge shocker if Wando was uh, was like, no, let, let me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you imagine what would have happened if he had actually gone in the Great Machine? <laughs> <laughs> then he really would be punking everybody with his hologram. Yes, exactly. He yeah, would be contacting people all the time. <laughs> Veer would never get rest. He would just be constantly haunted by <laughs> Lando. Yeah. So there's more space battle. Garibaldi 
thinks there must be another way, but Drawl says there isn't. He's found a way to live out his remaining years with purpose. It'll take him centuries to explore the wonders of this place. Well, at least he has something. Yeah. <laughs> I was worried about him. <laughs> B5 takes a direct hit and they won't be able to take another like that. But before they do get hit again, Drawl sends a message to all three parties and the battle tell them that the, the planet belongs to no one. The secrets have to remain a secret because it would give any race an advantage. The B puts the B5 advisory council in charge of making sure that world is left alone until the time is right. Anybody tries to go down there, they'll be destroyed. Then we see the enemy ship try to head to the planet and they get zapped by that huge laser beam. Yeah. A huge uh, weapon. That thing was accurate and <laughs> that was very sad actually, you know. I mean, yeah, they were being kind of bullyish, but now they're that's it. Yeah, you know. Barn's going to pass pretty soon and then yeah. That'll be the that'll be it for a whole race of people or beings. So that's kind of sad. Yeah, but, it's, don't come near this planet or genocide. Yeah, really. Hopefully they left somebody in some space spaceship somewhere else, but uh okay. Uh as soon as um Drawl said about um you know, no race should have the technology because it would give them, you know, more power than they need, I immediately thought of the Narns. <laughs> I'm like, the Narns are gonna want this sucker. Because they have this beef with the Centauri and they want or at least Jakar does. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it seems like that all the Narns have a sort of a lot of hatred towards the Centauri, but you know, I think Jakar has made it pretty clear that he would like to have the Centauri completely wiped out. So, yeah. I would just be interested to see if they bring this up again anytime soon, or if we just kind of conveniently forget that it's there, or if Londo's talking about it one day in the bar. And that's how Jakar finds out. Well, isn't he part of the Babylon Five Advisory Council? Yeah, that's true. They yeah. probably have to tell all of the ambassadors. Except yeah. For, except for Jackson. And also show them <laughs> the footage and saying, yeah, if our arguments aren't good enough, look at what it's capable of. Stick right. of this thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they would be able to get down there. How far does that laser shoot, I wonder? <laughs> <laughs> and when will the time be right is my question. Yeah, what are we waiting for? Are they going to have like a thing where all the all the worlds have to combine their resources to fight against something else? And hmm, I don't know. It's one other thing that <laughs> that, that might come up again. One other thing for the speculation section. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Down on Epsilon Three, Delin wants to say goodbye to Drawl. Barn says he'll be there with him for the few days he has left. Varn assures her that it is a wonder so Delin can rest easy. When we see Drawl, he seems happy as Delin says her goodbye. Aww. Next, Pierce says they're going to be going in for repairs. He's received a message from Earth Dome confirming that Sinclair has authority over B5 in that sector of space and apologizes and leaves. Well, so who he said to say Well, he says he regrets that something. Yeah. He's not the sort of person to ever really apologise. I regret that I caused you problems, but I don't regret my actions. <laughs> Clearly, uh, but yeah, I think he said um, planetary interplanetary security or something like that. Oh yeah, the office of planetary security. Yeah, so that's not really the the, the communications between them and 
whoever said that Sinclair has ultimate authority, maybe not so good. Apparently, the, the uh, that message came direct from the president. Okay. Well, they need to sort this out. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So Ivanova rings up Sinclair. They've got a line to Mars Colony, but there's something he should know first. Then we see Sinclair call Garibaldi in his quarters. Turns out that Lise Hampton is wounded, but okay. And he get, Garibaldi gets to talk to Lise Hampton. She's played by Denise Gentile, I think. He, uh, they're talking. He tells her that he shouldn't have left her and wants to take his leave on Mars. But she interrupts him and tells him that she's married to a guy named Franz and is expecting. This was not a surprise. Yeah, he says that he's glad for her. I'm just saying for a wounded lady, she was pretty put together. Her eyebrows look fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and her hair was nicely combed. It's, I, 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 I'm talk, about to go online with my ex. Um, make myself look pretty quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He didn't have a chance because uh, he was like had a towel over his shoulder and just, like, yeah. his, his unbuttoned a few buttons down on the chest. Well, maybe that was uh, that was okay for him. But <laughs> later, Garibaldi and Delenn are in the observation area. Uh, she explains that she and Londo didn't go to Sinclair because Sinclair would have been the one who ended up in the machine if she had done that. And she got Londo to go because of an exchange of promises that he will come to collect one day. But she thinks he really enjoyed it because he awakened something that he thought was buried. And Garibaldi has a response for that. And he leaves contemplating Lise Hampton's husband's name. And the episode uh, ends with Delenn saying goodbye to Drawl at the end credits. Yeah, that was sad. Yeah. Sad but expected. Yeah. And his destiny lies elsewhere, Sinclair's. Yeah. Mmm. Our favorite alien, Bill Blair, was in this episode playing another alien. No <laughs> Garibaldi had pizza. Uh, yeah. Like a, so a they could, pizza box. So there's a pizza place somewhere in the Zocalo. <laughs> yeah. Or you, it wasn't like a, one of those oven-made pizzas? Or it, no, it looked like a delivery box. Oh, okay. It really did. Ah. It did. <laughs> they have pizza delivery men on <laughs> I mean, why not, you know? <laughs> ah, I, I just realized that's a Linnea's part-time job. He's got the motorcycle already. <laughs> yes, watch out. 30 minutes or less. <laughs> All right, how about we do some quotes? What are our quotes of the week? Okie dokie. All right, let me... <laughs> I have, like, one of my favorite ones of the whole series so far. It's Ivanova. Worst case of testosterone poisoning I've ever seen. <laughs> I didn't write that one down because I figured that someone else would have it. I hoped they would. <laughs> Almost certain someone was going to take that. I'll write it down anyway. It's a great little quote. Um, I have, let's see, which one do I want? Um, Ivanova. Whoever's piloting that shuttle is a madman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we didn't mention that she brought up her Russian heritage yet again. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was that's one of my that's my quote. Oh, okay, there you go. So if we go down there, it blows. If we don't, it blows anyway. Just a little later. It's a good thing I'm Russian. We're used to hopeless situations. <laughs> yeah, I've got another of a quote as well. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yes. Any I mean, others or? <laughs> 
Yeah, I have um, I have a Garibaldi one. And there was a longer quote here, but I just liked this part. The planet we're parked next to is about to go up like a Roman candle. What am I supposed to do, huh? Arrest it? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, you can't arrest it, and you can't push its face into the counter, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Takes uh, away a lot of options. Yeah. I've got Garibaldi's last quote. Franz, what kind of name is Franz? <laughs> it's a fairly common name, Garibaldi, or at least it was at our time. If I were a landing thruster, which one of these would I be? Uh, I think that's all the quotes I've got anyway. Yeah. Oh, I have one more. Um, Sinclair, what's his prognosis? Dr. Franklin, he's dying. <laughs> I, I just thought that quote was so, like, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, how about we go to our characters of the week? How about human of the week? Um, I had a really hard time with this one, with Human of the Week. Yeah, at first I was thinking Sinclair, but I kind of want to give it to Ivanova. I have to go with Sinclair. I I think Sinclair over Ivanova, because this is a two-parter. We gave it to Ivanova last week, and yes, she got a lot of good quotes this week, but this kind of was Sinclair's episode of the two-parter. He got things done, and we can't give it to Garibaldi because... Yeah, no. he did stuff, but I'm not going <laughs> to give it to him for the things he did. No, definitely not. Or Captain Pierce. That's <laughs> <laughs> not Captain Pierce. No. I I can go with Sinclair on this one. All right. Or Clarence, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> when Sinclair and Ivanova are really getting a lot of good episodes, I think. They need to spread out the wealth. Well, it's like we really only have three human main characters, so yeah. yeah I we think need that- to see Franklin more, probably. Yeah, Clarence and Clara and Franklin should get it if they have like a, one amazing scene or something. Yeah, <laughs> they have one really good line. Yeah, <laughs> give it to them. So, who's our alien of the week? I have to go with Drawl on this one. Yep, I gave it to Drawl. Yeah, well, I was thinking him or Delan, but I, I, I think Drawl's a good one. Yeah, I was uh, thinking Londo, but I can go for Drawl. Lando had one good scene, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Lando had some good scenes, but he did, may never see Droll again. And... Exactly. <laughs> and this wasn't really Lando's episode. He was in it, but just so we get to see a different side of him. Yeah, no, that was nice. You know, it was a different side of Lando for sure. All right, let's do some episode ratings. Want to start us off, Heidi? Yes. Um... I liked this part of the two-parter better than the first part. And the first part, I gave a 7. So, this one is getting an 8 out of 10 talking heads. I was going to try to use that one. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I agree. Um, I like this one better. I I do think it was not quite enough between the two episodes for to make it a two-parter. Um you know, I think they could have done maybe a little bit more with it um, in terms of like why this one particularly was a two-parter. Um, but I liked it. And I know I kind of liked um, just getting to know more about, I liked draw the character draw and I liked seeing the different side of Londo. And I always like those kind of standoff scenes, you know? So I will also give it an eight Marzies out of 10. Cool. What do you say, Ian? Well, I've got a slightly different point of view with this one because for me, first off, as everyone probably 
has with the um, conclusion to the cliffhanger really left me feeling wanting in this. It just it was really lacking something. Um, and then, I mean, I like the performances in this. I like the little character moments you get for the most part. But I was a bit underwhelmed with the conclusion to the story as as a whole. So, you know, the good points are counterbalanced by the bad. Uh, and it, as I said, don't I don't like the overall structure. It's, it seemed a bit too predictable and a bit too safe in some ways because you were almost certain you knew what was going to happen next and most of the time you were right. But you, you did have great character moments in this. And you're right, Droll is a lovely little character. Um, so... I was going to go for six out of ten plush purple shuttles. (laughs) Well, I like the episode about the same as I like the first one. Yeah, the beginning was a letdown, but I like the big space battle, uh, the Londo moments, the Ivanova quotes. So I gave it an eight out of ten three-piece ships. (laughs) Hmm. Our total score is a 7.5 this episode. That's pretty decent. That's really respectable. Uh Uh-huh. Cool. So let us all hop on this giant eagle and take a trip to Feedback Land. (laughs) Hey, yeah, we're just going to have to nick that from um, Caster Thrones now. We're going to have to come up with our own methods of transport down to Feedback Land. Yes, magical. How about a purple, purple spaceship? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Purple shuttle to be backland this week. So, guys, I saw that we had an iTunes review in the Swedish iTunes store. Cool. I'm not sure how to pronounce your name. Pape first, maybe I don't know. But I tried to run it through Google Translate, and it basically says excellent. A chance for those <laughs> who have previously not seen B5 to make it in good company and take part of this discussions, thoughts, and predictions. For those who have seen B5, a chance to rewatch. Yeah, I'm just looking at, yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, great to get a feedback from Sweden. And, um, I might be wrong, but looking at it as you now, perhaps it's Papist. Okay. Sub- subverting an I for a one. Okay. Uh. Cool. And we got some voicemail as well. Yay. Hey, yes. Our first voicemail is from Malika. This is Malika. I'm just leaving my feedback for Voices Part 2. I realized that I enjoyed Part 1 so much because it was so goofy, with lots of goofy lines and a lot of... um a lot of features from um, my favorite characters and uh, yeah, lots of good lines. Uh, part two, I wasn't as impressed by. Um, you know, it just had seemed a lot of uh, Sinclair and Ivanova staring at screens and, you know, people staring back at them and looking foreboding and not moving. Um, and I think that without Delenn's um, flirtation outside her marriage (laughs) that I wouldn't have um, really appreciated this episode. But here's the thing. I don't think that I'm supposed to appreciate it. I have this feeling that it might come back um, and some of the stuff discussed uh, might come back to visit us again and we'll have, we'll say, aha, it was in that episode, the one with the talking heads. So yeah, that's what I think. Um, 
but as it's since I you know don't know what's coming up and since I have to grade it on its own, I'm going to give it six and a half out of ten. Flirty, flirty, Mimbari. Anyway, look forward to hearing the episode. Bye, guys. Thanks, Malika. Cheers. That's brilliant. Love the, I love that. Ah, bit. <laughs> Our next feedback is from Elaine. Greetings down below. It's Elaine again with feedback for Voice in the Wilderness Part 2. Um, no comment is watching this week. Sorry about that. <laughs> with the arrival of the Hyperion, we get our first sighting of an Earth Alliance heavy cruiser. And according to JMS, it's one of the few that wasn't destroyed during the Earth Minbari War. Uh, the ship has no rotating sections, so there's no gravity on board. And that's why you got Captain Pierce wearing a flight suit buckled into a seat whenever he's sending a comm from on board. <laughs> At least there's a reason. Your jurisdictional friction this episode's an understandable mess. Uh, once his orders send him to the station, Pierce is the highest-ranking officer there, so he believes he should have seniority by right of rank. Problem is, when Sinclair was assigned to BAP-5, the, the president himself said that Sinclair's command at the station gives him the final word on any and all Earth Force matters in that region of space, so he has seniority by right of position. The real question, is this whole mess just another attempt by the individuals who were backing the Knights and Benzane or was this happening because somebody in the government was worried about the fact that around the same time that Mars is rebelling, there's these unknown alien technologies being discovered under the watch of an officer who grew up on Mars. Huh. So just Not for the cool. sake of security, let's send somebody else along to keep an eye on the matter, make sure nothing gets shipped off without anybody knowing, you know? Hmm. And in the end, the problem of the great machine, it's solved by Delin and Drawl, and a little piloting help from Londo at the cost of future favor, taking the custodian back to the planet so Drawl can take his place. And once that happens, Drawl declares that BAP-5 is going to serve as a neutral custodian on behalf of all the races, and access to the machine is forbidden until the time is right. Okay, my question for our ambassadors. When do you think it's going to be the right time? Rating for this episode is going to be 8 out of 10 fictional jamming devices. <laughs> our quote is going to be courtesy of Londo. And uh, my apologies if I slip into the accent. I used to mimic it all the time when I was younger, so... <laughs> Ah, of course. An Earth war cruiser parked alongside the station. Mysterious trips to the planet beneath us. Rumors that you have found someone down there and brought him back here. This, to you, is status quo, yes? You must lead a very interesting life. <laughs> Human of the Week is going to be Sinclair. And Alien of the Week, I guess, for me, it's going to have to be a tie between Drawl and Londo. Catch you next week. Thanks, Elaine. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Elaine. Another great bit of feedback. 
I wouldn't even have thought about um, the Mars connection with Sinclair. Yeah. Yeah. That was so I guess we need to answer the question because she gave us the, she actually paused for us to answer it. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure if we were supposed to answer it there or wait. Um, well, I mean, I think the only thing I could think is that there's going to be a, a conflict where they all have to come together and battle something or use a technology as, as a group. Yeah. When the time is right, it's like, well, that depends on, I guess, their definition, you know, of, yeah. of, of what the technology is used for to begin with. But when the time is right, um, I, I really have no ideas. Elizabeth, yours sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> but Drawl kind of like uh, figured it out really quickly, didn't he? I mean, he was like, he hadn't been there more than five minutes before he was sending holograms to everybody <laughs> and saying, you know, all that he said. It's very user friendly. So he he gets it. Um, so whatever it is, it's something that he as a Membari realizes that is going to be, you know, important. But yeah, I have no idea. So we have a couple of comments on our website. The first one was for eyes. Centauri Ranger says, did I hear right at the very last minute when you were signing off that one of you ladies said stroke off? If so, that's fragging hilarious. Yes, that was. I believe that was Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I took to that insult um, and I quite like it. <laughs> uh, next one is from Board 99. You don't want to take that comment. I can't, sure. considering it talks about me in the first sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I have to thank Ian for the suggestion about Droll's Beard. Next time I watch A Voice in the Wilderness, I shall make sure I imagine that, although it may look like hair, it's actually composed of tiny, <laughs> sleek, but devilishly strong tentacles, which, although Droll is too considerate of other be- beings' feelings to do this in front of them, are capable of independent movement and evolved so that Membari could grip their food while eating. This will make A Voice in the Wilderness much more interesting. (laughs) That's not to say that I find A Voice in the Wilderness boring, but I don't feel that it really feels weighty enough to um, being a two-parter or the sense of occasion implied by the label biblical reference in the uh, title. I tend to feel that this could probably have been compressed into one episode, even if this might have involved displacing some of the Mars material into another story. Uh It does, however, have one of my favourite lines in the show, one which I have adapted for daily life on many occasions. Landing thrusters, landing thrusters. Hmm. Now, if I were a landing thruster, which one of these would I be? I <laughs> hope that this is someone's quote of the week. It <laughs> was a quote, and yet yeah, done and done. <laughs> and thank you very much, Rod. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you. Next, we have a Facebook comment from Sergeant Drano. Who wants to take that one? Uh, sure, I'll take it. Okay, here's extra special bonus feedback for Voice in the Wilderness Part 2. Extra special because I listened to Heidi, Elizabeth, and Malika's commentary while watching the episode. I remember the thing that stood out the most to me with this episode was that it was the first time we get to see an Earth Alliance warship, the heavy cruiser Hyperion. Pretty cool design. Reminds me of a submarine. I was a little surprised that the ladies were underwhelmed by its arrival. LOL. 
I cracked up at their jokes about the captain always being in his chair, but I'm not sure if they realize that because Earth doesn't have artificial gravity tech. The captain has to stay belted to his chair or he'd float away. Yeah, probably not. I like to see that, though. (laughs) But everybody else was on screens, too. Yeah. Um, The plot of this episode was kind of predictable. The ladies correctly guessed that Drawl, conveniently already at the end of his life, would be the one to go down and hook into the machine. Londo's involvement was a nice bonus. It was great to see him in action, taking an active role in the central plot. Hmm, so one of you ladies can't tell Asian men apart, and another one of you ladies has a dog trained to growl at Asian men. (laughs) Is this some sort of anti-Asian conspiracy? If so, I suspect Malika to be the ringleader. (laughs) That is true. Malika is the ringleader. Yes, check the Facebook feed um, for more on this, because, yeah, there's blame of plenty for Malika. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness, I lost count of the comments about clothing, hair, and big shoulders. We need the down-below commentary drinking game. Well, you know, when you're doing commentary, you talk about what you see. Yeah. 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 And we finally made it. We're finally getting our own drinking game. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) We will keep you drunk. Um, I like that peace was not achievable in this episode. I feel like Star Trek probably would have somehow negotiated a compromise and avoided any shooting. Babylon 5 knows that sometimes you have to fight. I remember being a bit confused about the Earth Alliance rank structure in this episode, since neither the Captain nor Commander Sinclair act like either one is subordinate to the other. Nice to see Epsilon 3 finally addressed. Interesting that it has such powerful weapons. I look forward to hearing the noobs speculate on what part it may play in the future. Well, that's about it. I expected to have more to say, but upon thinking about it, there's not a lot that can't be said due to spoilers. That can be said due to spoilers. All in all, a great episode. In my opinion, one of the best of season one. I give it eight Earth Alliance starships out of ten. Favorite alien, Londo. Favorite human, hmm, Sinclair, I guess. Looking forward to the podcast. Thanks. Thank Thank you you for the feedback. Cheers again. Yep. Loved it. Now we have some email. First one is from Victor. Take Victor's. I'll take that one. Alrighty. The big ship that emerges from the jump gate turns out to be friendly. Mostly, anyway. It's commander, not so much. It's a heavy cruiser sent by Earth Force, and the and Captain Pierce advises Babylon 5 that he's from the government and he's here to help. When does that ever not lead to a disaster? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> After the predictable infighting and bickering over jurisdiction, various aliens take an interest in the planet, which is now threatening to blow up and take Babylon 5 with it. The most interesting of those aliens is a ship belonging to the same species as the one who has been running the planetary machine. They claim ownership of the great machine and intend to take it by force. Meanwhile, Delenn and Drawl decide they must go down to the planet, even though it will be a one-way trip for one of them. However, the pilot they choose might make it a one-way trip for all three of them. (laughs) The Mimbari must not have a competent pilot handy, because they let Londo fly the ship. (laughs) Drawl may have had a death wish, but Delenn should know better. (laughs) It's probably been 20 years since Malari has flown anything, so his aviation skills may have eroded a wee bit. He probably uh-huh. should have familiarized himself with the flight controls, including the braking thrusters, before launching the ship. But after a white-knuckle <laughs> ride, they somehow land safely, and Drawl can take his place as the brain of the machine, which gives his life new meaning. Sinclair and Pierce stop arguing long enough to engage in a shooting war with the aliens until the machine tells them all to cease fire and go away. But the aliens don't listen too good, so they head for the planet anyway and get sliced to pieces. I really like the two-parter and want to see more of Epsilon 3, so this one gets nine great machines out of ten. Regards, Victor. Thanks, Victor. 
Thanks again, Victor. It's always good to hear your feedback. Yep, definitely. Our next email is from Bill. I'll do that one. Greetings, down belowers. Is that what we're called? <laughs> I don't know. It looks like down bellowers. Yeah, uh, down, yeah bellowers. down bellowers. That's all talk like this. And, uh, we learned the revelation of the big uh, medium cliffhanger, namely the arrival <laughs> of the Earthship Hyperion, led by Captain Ellis Pierce. I was going to make some kind of mash joke about Captain Pierce, but after the fact, I realized it wasn't very funny. Pierce was fairly unlikable and only seemed to exist as opposition to Sinclair. I thought both characters were being presumptuous. Pierce for assuming the results of the survey would be known throughout the station, and Sinclair for thinking the arrival of a warship would be considered suspicious. They are a space station, after all. When they receive warships periodically? As it turns out, Londo was aware of the survey results and noted the Hyperion with suspicion. I'm not certain if it's just clunky writing, writing or if someone in CNC needs to crack down on what info gets out. So we have Earthers and Marsies, but what else can you call them? Perhaps Terrans and Marzipans? That would be sweet. <laughs> yes, please. Can we change and use that instead? Yes. Yeah, Marzipans I like. Mm -hmm. Moving on, we saw Michael's magic act and Sinclair lying about a jamming device. Also, Dr. Franklin's assertion that his patient was comatose when he was clearly awake. <laughs> Just... How good of a physician is he? After believers, I have to question. <laughs> oh, don't be mean oh. to Franklin. When Pierce revealed he was sending his forces to the planet, I had hoped Sinclair would threaten to blast them all to hell, and that's pretty much what he did. We have confirmation that the alien was named Varn, but after his kinsmen arrived, we never learned the name of their race. Was that an The Varnians. Varnians, yes. Was that an oversight or deliberate? He's been caretaker of the planet for 500 years, and we find out that he summoned Londo as well as Drawl, Sinclair, and Delin. Interesting choice. Even Agreed. Though, even though Londo is a hedonist, his biggest concern in life is the welfare of his people. One of us will not return. Who could it be? One of the two regulars or the guest star? Mm, good point. During the flight down to the planet when Londo was playing Han Solo, or perhaps Lando, there were there was a blooper where Peter Jurisic was holding a Thomas Guy map book talking about wait talking about talking the four oh five. The four oh five, it's a freeway in LA. Okay. Or maybe that's taking the four oh five. Okay. That was my favorite part of the season one blooper reel. At the end, Garibaldi discovers Lise was married and you can't go home again. The aliens were destroyed. Epsilon three was off limits for the foreseeable future, and the peers and Pierce semi-apologized to Sinclair. A decent story, but not one of my favorites. No one human stood out for me, but I'll default to last week and give it to Ivanova, as well as Londo for Alien. I'll give it seven and a half inexistent jamming devices. Till next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Bill W. from somewhere in Los Angeles. Thanks, and Bill. always good to hear from you, too, Bill. And yeah, that was a pretty uh, good rating, though. I think... I think the season one blooper reel is on YouTube somewhere. So once we finish with the season, that's definitely something I think we need to uh, watch and put up on the Facebook group. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that'd be funny. Our next email is from Laurie. He wants to take Laurie's email. No, I think I'll it's my it. turn. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, no um, it's okay. I just wasn't <laughs> sure if we were going in order. Okay, here we go from Laurie. Hello, ambassadors. 
It was nice to hear that in part two, we get immediately to see what's coming through the jump gate. I imagine that the newbies were surprised to see it was an Earth ship. I know I was the first time around. Earth seems to want to get involved with B5's business whenever any potential profit is involved. I found Captain Pierce's character fairly annoying, but his orders to put him in a difficult position. As the senator explained to St. Clair, Earth wants any technology on the planet, though it should not legally belong to Earth. As Londo mentions, the Centauri contributed a substantial amount of money to the construction of B5, so it's not surprising that Londo's interested as well. I really enjoyed Sinclair's misdirect regarding the properly encoded jamming device. It was only worked temporarily, but was likely important to gaining the extra time they needed. There is a great quote from Ivanova there. Worst case of testosterone posing I've ever seen. <laughs> yep. I also enjoyed the build-up in the last several episodes around the Membari culture of philosophy to explain their greatest goal in life is to live for others and that the capability for self-sacrifice is very important to them. This makes Droll's decision predictable within this episode, but it's also a good story progression. I very much enjoyed seeing Londo enjoying the adventure while combining efforts with Delenn. We are left to wonder how Delenn will repay her for Londo's favour. I hope someone did a vanavis quote about Londo's piloting skills. Learning more about the Mars colony and revolt was a good second storyline, and we learn a bit more about Lise. I did feel bad for Garibaldi. I was wondering how many years it had been since Garibaldi left Mars. Overall, a good two-parter. Human, Garibaldi. Alien, Londo. Eight out of ten purple Centauri spaceships piloted by Madman. Laurie. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Laurie. Thanks, Laurie. Uh, cheers, Laurie. I was thinking, like, as we were reading the feedback, um, I think I liked it better the second time I watched it. In terms of, like... I think the first time I was a little disappointed in terms of what came through the jump gate and all the talking heads and stuff. But when I watched it the second time, I wasn't bored or anything like that. I thought I would be bored watching it the second time, but it was, it held up pretty well. So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of, I just liked the sort of the anticipation of what might come from it. And also, I, I don't know, I just kind of liked the, the tension that it created a little bit. I mean, it was kind of weird to just have people talking back and forth on screen, but I don't know. It held up pretty well. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought it was good the second time. All right, our final email is from Yan. Who wants to read Yan's email? Uh, I can, or if Heidi wants to take it. I can, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, all right, so from Yan. Hello, fellow lurkers in Down Below. Here is a bit of feedback for A Voice in the Wilderness Parts 1 and 2. The planet Epsilon 3 that Babylon 5 is orbiting is not quite as dead as we thought. Earthquakes and the like is suddenly appearing down there. A geological survey team has a close call. We learn the Babylon 5 mantra from Avadva. <laughs> Sinclair has a first contact situation on the planet. The Great Machine is an homage to the 50s film Forbidden Planet. The controller of the machine is dying and the machine malfunctions with disastrous consequences. His place must be taken by another. Of course, the Earth Alliance has to mess with the situation. Captain Pierce is really overstepping his authority. Other aliens arrive, claiming to own the planet and the machine. Hmm. 
they were exiled. Mysterious ghostly appearances saying, help me or your people, all your people will die. Clearly not a threat, but a plea. Delenn receives a visit from an old friend. You're right. She has many old friends. <laughs> from Drawl, we learn the third principle of sentient life, the capacity to sacrifice yourself for a cause, for many or for one. We learn from Delenn that a half-truth is the worst kind of lie. Interesting, given that the Mimbari never tell the whole truth. Seriously. Mm. <laughs> um, Londo is confused by the hokey pokey. Drawl rather likes it. Drawl has lost his purpose in life and finds it back, and we see another side of Londo trying to find the landing thrusters of the shuttle. <laughs> a rebellion on Mars prompts Garibaldi to seek contact with an old flame, only to find that she is married. What the hell of a what the hell of a name is Fran Franz? And we see Garibaldi perform a magic trick. We learn that Psycor has a secret facility on Mars, and Garibaldi knows. How does he know? I hadn't really considered that. Um, Lana wants to know what is going on on the planet, and Ivanova tells him in no uncertain words, or word. These two episodes are packed, and we learn a lot. Favorites. Human, difficult, but I will go with Ivanova for the Babylon 5 mantra. Alien, Londo, Drawl, and Delenn are all interesting, but I will go with Drawl. Many brilliant quotes in this one, but I will mention two. Ivanova to Londo. I can't do it like she did. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Have a nice day. Um, <laughs> I'm calm about that outfit. <laughs> uh, Garibaldi to Sinclair. The planet we're parked next to is about to blow up like a Roman candle. What am I supposed to do? Arrest it? And rating, ooh, 10 out of 10 Babylon ten. 5 mantras. Nice. Whoa. That's all for today. I hope I made it before you started. Watch out for all the signs importance. Yan, the Babylon <laughs> Lurker. Thanks, Yan. Thanks, Yan. Oh, thanks, Yan. Oh, I was I have a question. Because uh, uh, we talked about last time that the the CG was based on the Forbidden Planet, which he mentions here. Is it just the way that the design of it or also the fact that there was a somebody could, you know, hooked up to it? I don't know. I've never, I don't think I've seen Forbidden Planet or it was a oh, long okay. time ago. I think he made it the design, the way it looked. The way it looked. Yeah. Okay. I also forgot to mention, I think the worst bit of CG we've seen so far is in this episode when, um, Delenn, Lando, Drell and, um, Barn are going across the bridge. It, they just look like Lego figures and it was really disappointing. <laughs> Nope, still not as bad as the <laughs> beginning of the other one for me. Okay. Both were really bad, though. Yeah. Thanks for all the feedback, everybody. Uh, if you want to send yeah, thank us you. feedback, send it to mail at downbelowpodcast.com or leave it in the Facebook group or comment on the website. Or send us a voicemail or yeah. iTunes it's just great tweet at us. <laughs> yeah. Makes us feel like we're not just talking to no one and get feedback. <laughs> and it also adds a lot of, you know, interesting perspective as yeah. well. Oh, it definitely does. Everybody Gets us thinking different. of new ways to look at the episode. So now let's do some episode predictions. The name of the next episode is Babylon Squared. And our guest will be Shane. Well, if this doesn't have to do with Babylon 4, I quit. I quit, <laughs> I quit predicting Babylon 4. But it's got to have something to do with another Babylon station, right? I mean, 
Babylon Square to Babylon stations. I mean, right. it, it has to. And can't say anything. What? I said we can't say anything. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I know. <laughs> no, tell us right now what happens. Um, yeah, if I mean, it's got, if it does it, forget it. I'm never going to predict Babylon 4 again. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then the next think, episode, that's when it'll come back. Yeah, it'll be, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I wonder how it's going to show up. Like, Babylon Squared makes me think that they're definitely going to be interacting. Like, there's going to be, it's going to be uber Babylon. It's going to be like, it better not come back in the exact same place and then, <laughs> and like, basically superimpose itself over the other Babylon because that would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like, there's be, this person next to you that wasn't yeah. there before. Where have you been? That would be too much. But if I'm going with the fact that, it, okay, if we're going to say that Babylon 4 is coming back, then you have to, then you have to wonder what's going to happen. Like, who has precedence, like, as the Babylon you know, as the Babylon uh, uh, commander, and yeah. ooh, wouldn't it be cool if, like, okay, I'm just going with this whole thing that Babylon's coming back because it's gonna come back eventually. So, um, what if, like, they had their doppelgangers on the sh- other other ship, like the <laughs> second in command, like they all had the, you know, kind of like, um, I think that happened in um, Battlestar, right, where they all had to like talk to their counterparts on the Pegasus and stuff, or. Uh-huh. You know, it'd be interesting to see the contrast between like the second in command of Onova versus the second in command of Babylon Four, and then the, the two commanders and the security officers and stuff. That would be kind of neat. Yeah, to compare right. and contrast. Um, as far as other predictions that this episode brought up, uh, I think that the they've gotten into this habit of keeping secrets from the ambassadors, and I think this could turn into a real issue. Like, um. Sinclair did it before when, like, there was the whole Earth Force issue and, like, he was pretending like he wasn't on their side and everything. And and I just think that that at least an episode will focus something like that. Like, um, the the ambassadors are just going to think that Sinclair is, is completely against them because he's hiding things. And then my other one is it's kind of funny because it's sort of the opposite of the thing I just said but um, that I think that if it comes down to it that the crew of Babylon 5 would actually side with the aliens over Earth and so if there's ever a situation where that comes up then it's going to be like this group of humans is siding with the aliens because the because like with Earth Force and just the people of Earth, it seems like the Babylon 5 crew is maybe more of one mind with the aliens than their own people. Yeah, I could see Sinclair losing his job over it too. Mm-hmm. Like he's at some point he's got to lose his job, I think. <laughs> he's pushing a lot of buttons. Um yeah, but he can't lose his job because the Mimbari uh, have their deal. You know? Oh, yeah. So. I guess he's That's already right. lost his job for like half a day. <laughs> That's right. Well, on your first prediction, I was remembering, I forgot the name of the episode, but it was the one where um, uh, Shal Mayan was attacked and uh-huh. Jakar was leading that sort of rally against yeah. Claire. Yeah, that was the, the one with like the with the Earth, Earth Force um not Earth Force. What was it? What are they called? The like the anti-alien yeah. people. 
Right. The um, what are they called, guys? Come on, help us out. Well, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of it at the moment. My my head's not with that because I can remember the Mars one. That's Mars first, but that's because we've seen that in the last couple of episodes. Uh huh. Home guard. Well, home yeah. guard. Yeah. Yes, home there guard. We go. Well, you know, it makes me feel better if I can't remember it and you can't remember it because you, like, know the show inside and out, so. <laughs> it, 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 it's one of those difficult ones to remember. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's the one I was I was talking about, Elizabeth, was the one with the home guard. Yeah. Uh, oh, the war the, prayer. The war prayer, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that happening. I, I, I see maybe the Narn, you know, having a problem with, you know, Nobody taking the technology on this Epsilon 3. Um, hopefully we see Jakar in the next episode. And then uh, and then the Vorlons will just sweep in and be gone with it or something. Yeah, I mean, just destroy the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody is ready for whatever this is. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else this brought up? Well, I mean, obviously, again, Delenn mentioned that, you know, Sinclair... His destiny. Uh, he has a uh-huh. destiny. So, and it was not to die on that planet. No, that was Droll's destiny, apparently. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, we see Droll again. I don't know. I kind of want to see what what's going on with him. Maybe he'll pop up as a hologram here and there. I just, yeah, I want to see him pop up here and there, just like scare people in the shower or something. Yeah, <laughs> because technically, he could be like a good source of information, right? Because his somehow his mind can see out. Yeah, he, like, knows things. Yeah, and so maybe he could give them information. (laughs) You know, hey, by the way, um, something's gonna happen. But I somehow doubt that's gonna happen, but... um, Yeah. But I don't know. So, yeah, I guess... I guess I would say I hope that Babylon 4 shows up next time. Uh, What else could Babylon Squared mean? I know. I don't... I really can't think of anything else. And, uh, yeah. So, but that's kind of weird to end. I mean, this... Well, you said there's three episodes left, so they'd have to figure it out in the last three episodes. That would seem like one that you would do a a two-parter on, though. So, yeah, that's all I've got. Me too. All right. Okay. Well, I kind of am itching at the bits to go and watch the next episode myself. Yeah, let's go watch it now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with Babylon Squared. And until next time, take care. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast. Mm-hmm.